Empire. Welcome to Making the Case, Crimes Against Kids. In this series, we dig deep into and help prevent the worst of the worst criminal behavior, crimes against children. It's a tough subject, and you're going to hear and learn about the world of crimes against kids from our expert guests. Some are survivors of crime themselves, others are law enforcement, and many are advocates for crime prevention and legislative change. I'm Avery Mann, and I spent 16 years fighting crime with the hit Fox TV show, America's Most Wanted, and five years at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Crimes are being committed every minute of every day, and law enforcement just doesn't have the resources or the time to solve every case. Often, children are the target, and that's where my company comes in. SOS 360 Inc. provides expert training to families, schools, their PTAs, and camps on how to help detect who the bad guys are so they never get hired and never get to work around kids. What can you do right now to keep yourself, your loved ones, and our kids safer? That's next on Making the Case Crimes Against Kids. In June 2015, just days after graduating from a prestigious independent school in Paraguay's capital of Asuncion, 16-year-old American Alex Villamayor left with his buddies for a weekend celebration. They headed south to a ranch in Encarnacion owned by a friend's family. But after a strange call that Alex had with his dad on the boy's first night away, something just didn't seem right. The next morning, Alex's family was told that Alex was dead, and by his own hand, a suicide. In total shock and disbelief, Alex's aunt, who lives in Washington, D.C. and had just been to Paraguay for Alex's graduation ceremonies, started a fierce campaign that put pressure on American government officials and the Paraguayan government to get to the truth about what really happened to Alex. Her fight still continues today. Kim Luck, Alex's aunt, is my guest. Kim, thanks so much for coming on my show to talk about your nephew and his life and really everything that you've been doing to get justice for your family. Thank you, Avery, for having me on. Kim, you live in Washington, D.C., and, and your nephew, Alex, was born while in Maryland, where you are, and lived there until he was six. Why the move to Paraguay, and, and how often did you get to see each other? Alex's parents went moved back to Paraguay um, so that uh, Alex's father actually uh, had a contract um, with Citibank in Paraguay, and so they moved the family back. Alex was born in the U.S. He's a U.S. citizen. Uh, he They were there for a long time, and we spoke on a regular basis. My sister and I are very, very close, hence my relationship with the children incredibly close. And Alex is one of four, right? Correct. What, what line was he? What number was he in this big family of, of your <laughs> nieces and nephews? Um, I, uh, Alex was number three. I have a niece named Milagros Antonio and then Alex and then the baby brother, Danny, um, who uh, lives with me. Let's go back to, to Paraguay and around the graduation time. Did you know that Alex and his friends were taking off for this trip after the graduation. And did you ever get a chance to meet any of those friends? 
Actually, uh, I went down to Paraguay for Alex's graduation. Um, it was, Alex and I are very, very close. My sister used to say that Alex may have been born to her, but he and I should have been twins. Um, mm -hmm. So I flew down there for his graduation. I met two of the uh, friends. Uh, Alex was actually helping them study for their uh, final exam. So I was able to meet Renee and Alain Jacks uh, the weekend, and I spent two weeks down there. So I did meet them, and I ha actually had a conversation with both of them. It's it's interesting when you when you know someone and you know their friends. I mean, Alex was your flesh and blood. He was your nephew, and you got to meet his friends. T tell us a little bit about what Alex was like as a person, as a kid, as a as a nephew. Oh boy, it's not enough words to describe him. Alex was a very sweet, kind, generous, polite, wise young soul. Uh, he was a highly emotional, intelligent boy. He graduated high school with honors at 16, kind of young, if you think about it. Yeah, that is young. He, he was loved by his peers, his teachers, the community. He was adored by his parents. He never took sides, even after his parents' divorce. He loved us so dearly, and we loved him. He was also the light and the glue of our family, always super, super funny. Um, and he was a godly child. He often quoted scriptures to prove a point. He actually introduced me to the musical group called The Fray uh, because they were a Christian group. And um, one of the visits, the summers he came home, he and I went to the Fray concert. I mean, we were very close. And his friends, did when you first met them, did they seem like, you know, you mentioned Alan, Renee, we'll talk about them later. Did they seem like the three amigos? Did they seem like really close buddies? Yes, they were all of them. Uh, the school was a Pan-American international school called uh, Pais, and it's, um, it was a very small private school. Everyone grew up, you know, in the different grades. Um, they were always together. Uh, I saw them at graduation. They were hugging each other with their arms around each other. I met their families. Um, by all accounts, it was normal. So they go away, and your sister, whose name is Pooning, she gets a weird call from one of Alex's friend's mom on the first night that they arrive at the ranch. Uh, and in her words, she said that the, the boys were kind of getting rough. And, and so your sister, she calls Alex's dad, Luis, was he able to reach Alex that night and, and find out like what was going on? Christina Hofstetter, which is Renee's father, um, I mean, mother, uh, calls my sister around eight o'clock that evening to say that they had taken mushroom tea, you know, the, uh, poisonous mushrooms out in the fields they were out in the ranch and they had boiled the teas and drank it they were causing some commotions and she said uh she's gonna send the boys alon jacks and alex home the next day and um my sister said to her hey um you know what time are the boys leaving in the morning like to know since the trip was six hours away from the capital um and christina hofstetter was very short uh, it annoyed my sister with my sister's questions, and she replied, like, whenever they're ready. So around 8.30, L 
Louise, Alex's father, called Christina Hofstetter and uh, Christina stated again that they were under the influence and they were getting rowdy. So Louise called Alex and on the phone, Alex was reassuring and said, everything is okay. Um, Poppy, you know, and Louise said, hey, listen, this is not what I'm hearing. Not sure about that, Sonny. I'm told that you guys are using drugs. Before he could say anything else, the call dropped. Louise tried calling over and over, no response, left both voicemails, text messages to him. A little later, um, Pudding called Louise again and said that she spoke to Christina Hofstetter and, and she said the situation was under control, that they had sent over the ranch hand, T.S. Wilbs, to take care of things and make sure everything was okay. This was odd, right? I mean, Louise and Alex, they they had a good relationship, right? I mean, you mentioned that earlier that that, uh, that they were tight, the family was all in, in, intact in terms of their relationship. So. This was very odd that Alex wouldn't be available to speak to his dad and that the call went dead, correct? Uh, yes, extremely odd because Alex and Louise are very, very close. They have, uh, I mean, they're always together. If Alex had weekend, you know, off or whatever, um, he was with his father. They went to church every Sunday. So mm -hmm. the fact that he couldn't reach him was a concern and... The fact that, you know, Pudding called Louise to say, hey, Christina said it's not a problem. Everything is okay. Uh, you take it an adult's word. Um, yeah. Everything is fine. So then the next morning, Alex's friend Renee, who you had met and spent time with and saw the boys hugging, and it was Renee's family that, that owns the ranch. He personally, directly called Alex's dad, Louise, correct? Yes, about 7.55 in the morning. And, and, and what did Renee say to him? He was very upset and sobbing, and all he could say was Alex shot himself and apologized with no explanation, and the call was very brief. And then, you know, Renee hung up. Uh, as you can imagine, Alex's father is just completely devastated. Um, his world is turned upside down. Just horrific and what happened after that did did Luis call Puning did Puning call you what was the the sequence of events there when when you got the message Luis literally stumbled his way over to my sister's home which was three blocks away and by the time he was ringing the doorbell Milagros answered um and the eldest the eldest child the daughter yeah Milagros answered the door and saw that Louise had already gone into an anxiety attack a really horrible one saw her father just draped over the security gates barely sobbing and um Milagros had to call the neighbors and say please help my daddy um I don't know what's going on he was just crying so horribly and um, they were trying to call my sister, but my sister was tutoring that morning. They couldn't get a hold of her. And Louise called Antonio here, and Antonio was at work already. Here in Maryland. Oh, so in Antonio Maryland. Works, works in Maryland and lives there as well, correct? Yeah, he was at the Apple store, just about started early in the morning. And Antonio called me in the morning and said, Ee, um, -E, that's my nickname in Chinese, it means auntie in Chinese and he goes ee -E, I have to come over um, and I'm thinking here you know something happened and he just wants to talk to me in person and he came over and he just said ee -E, Alex is gone 
And I'm like, what do you mean he's gone? He's like, we just got a phone call from Renee that Alex shot himself. He's dead. And what did you think when at that moment, when not only are you getting the horrible news that he's died, but that, that they're telling you that he committed suicide? What was your reaction? Well, as any close family member, we were completely shocked and couldn't believe it, especially given the kind of person Alex was. It just didn't make any sense. And given the events of the night before, we could tell something was off. But, you know, it's a 12-hour plane ride. I left immediately that afternoon with Antonio and my mother. My mother was loved Alex so much. And we all flew for 12 hours on the flight. We literally wrapped our heads and held our hands on the flight just thinking oh my gosh did we miss something did i miss something i was just there two weeks ago for his graduation what happened what did i miss what signs did i miss how could this have happened to us yeah i can't imagine the the questions that you're asking yourself and of course you had very little information at that point when we come back My guest Kim Locke will tell us about the bizarre events that immediately unfolded, casting a huge doubt of suspicion on Renee and two other people. Stay with us. My guest today, Kim Locke, brought the strength of the U.S. government to the justice system in Paraguay to fight corruption and total police and prosecutor incompetence to help ensure that the murder of her nephew, Alex Villamayor, was properly investigated and prosecuted. Kim, what didn't seem right when you first heard that shocking news about Alex's death? Well, Avery, Alex had a, like I mentioned before, Alex had a high emotional intelligence. He was also a very happy boy. He has a sense of humor like anyone I have ever met. He was also an honor student, went to the gym every day after school, went home, showered, ate, and studied. And for extra money on the weekends, he would do data entry for his father's business. He went to church every Sunday with his parents. He was motivated to work because he liked going to the gym and concerts. So I spent time with him and only two weeks prior, he did not display any signs of depression whatsoever. So I couldn't wrap my head around why Alex would commit suicide. Yeah, and that makes sense because with with what I know about suicides, there are always signs that 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 people give off. And I think your your instincts and, you know, I, I have known you for a long time. And I remember when you first told me that this happened and from everything I knew of your family and the amount of time that you spent with your your niece and your nephews, this this uh, to me wasn't wasn't likely at all. Earlier, you mentioned um, one of the friends of Alex named Renee. Tell us about uh, Alan Jacks and the other person you mentioned, Matthias Wilbs. Who were they and how do they fit into this, uh, this, this crime? Well, Alan Jacks was a former classmate in Alex's graduating class and one of his closest friends, so we thought. Alex spent a lot of time with them and even helped them, like I said, in the final exams before the graduation. Uh, reportedly, he was the one to discover Alex's body at 5 a.m. that morning. He said Alex was dead. They struggled to get to him because many of the doors leading outside to the pool area where Alex's body was found at the ranch. Um, he would later, we would later find out he had played a role in the cleanup. 
and the one who redressed Alex in his own clothes. And also, um, there was a, a photo of Alex's body, which has since been removed from the internet, um, which I found. And um, it had black trousers, which was very questionable because Alex doesn't own any black artists of clothing. And when you say, you know, cleaning up that, that this uh, person, Matthias Wilbs, did, what you really mean is, you know, a disruption of the crime scene. Um, because the evidence that came to light that, that you're referring to in terms of the black pants that Alex didn't own and the way his body was placed, the fact that you, you told me that the, the gun was on the left side of him, but yet he was right-handed. I mean, it seems like already that there's a, a massive cover-up going on, doesn't it? Absolutely. There were so many inconsistencies starting uh, from the beginning. And um, Matthias Wilbs, uh, just to go back to your question, he was a long-term employee of the Hofstetters. Um, Alex's siblings recall seeing him chauffeuring them to and from school, doing manual labor at the ranch. And when I say ranch, um, this is a very elaborate home in the countryside. Mm-hmm. You know, they had horses, they had they had guns, you know, it's, uh, this is a wealthy family. Um, this is both of theirs. Alan and Renee's families are very affluent. Yes. You mentioned earlier that, um, that Alex was born in the U S so he was a U.S. citizen. Um, he was not, um, a citizen of Paraguay, but he, he was a resident. I mean, his, his father was a Paraguayan citizen. So you start to think about the fact that this is a U.S. citizen, um, they're dead. There's mysterious circumstances. Someone's saying that there's a suicide. It may not be a suicide. Who started the invest- investigation at this point? Well, the uh, Paraguayan National Police started the investigation. Um, and we were question. It was quite questionable because it was led by a prosecutor um, who failed on so many accounts of uh doing their job i mean from you know securing the crime scene to securing phone records securing proper uh statements from the boys anybody that was on the ranch i mean there were so many inconsistencies and is that normal that a prosecutor i mean i'm i'm familiar with the u.s justice system and i know you are and now you're an you know an expert unfortunately in in the way things work in paraguay but where were the police in all of this? Why is the prosecutor doing the investigation? Is, is that how it's done there or was this a special circumstance? Um, no. So I believe that whenever there is a crime scene that's happened, the police is called and then the prosecutor goes. It's a little bit different down there, um, especially in Encarnacion part of the world. It's a little bit of a wild, wild west, so to speak. Um, we were told that the initial prosecutor, Olga Arujo, was the one who, you know, uh, started the investigation and uh, told them what to do. And and at what point in this investigation did things start to feel weird and not right because of some of the inconsistencies? I understand that Renee called his, his father a lot uh, that morning. Tell us a little bit about what was not feeling right. Well, number one, the gunshot wound the photo, the gunshot wound was to Alex's right head and the, and the gun was to the left. So we already knew that was impossible. You can't have the gun on the left hand and Alex was right handed. 
Um, we also knew that they didn't, um, you know, secure, like I said, the actual crime scene whatsoever. They didn't investigate in other rooms. They didn't confiscate phone records. Um, basically, it was the prosecutor taking the words of the two boys who are from affluent families. They mm -hmm. also failed to call the American embassy, especially um, knowing that Alex is an American citizen. Uh, interesting enough, Avery, they did contact the German embassy. There was a German rep embassy representative with the family. That's obviously very telling. And when, when you told me that that the father was called 36 times that morning by Renee. That is really, really something. I mean, obviously they're they're talking about something very important that's going on. And and what you're what you're really alluding to is is the inconsistencies. Do you think that there's corruption in Paraguay overall? And and if so, how is how did that affect Alex's case? Um, absolutely. As is. Uh, the case with many third world countries, you'll find corruptions in many forms, and it's not just exclusive to the government. Um, definitely in this case, um, in our case, absolutely. And incidentally, there was a gentleman um, who was found two weeks after Alex's death, and he had from similar situations, um, we found out that it was ruled a suicide as well without uh, additional investigation. How did the U.S. Embassy become aware that a U.S. citizen had died under mysterious, mysterious circumstances? How did that happen? Uh, we called them. Uh, my sister called them, contacted them, because my sister is a warden of the U.S. Embassy. Uh, basically, if any new families arrived in Asuncion, my sister would be the one to call them and, and reach out to them to make mm -hmm. sure they're okay. So they know our family. Um, you know, Asuncion is a very small, even though it's a big country, Asuncion, the capital, is a very small arena. Everyone knows one another. It's like and, a little bit of Washington, D.C. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that I'm sure that there were U.S. citizens who who also went to the, the Pan American school that Alex went to as well. And, you know, being a U.S. citizen uh, and being in touch with the embassy and your sister knowing people at the embassy, you know, wouldn't the FBI immediately just come in? To kind of like swoop in like you see on TV and either take over or help the investigation. I mean, isn't that what happens when there's a death of a U.S. citizen? Unfortunately, Avery, there are no FBI officers stationed in Paraguay. The closest would be a legal attache office based out of the U.S. Embassy in Buenos Aires, Argentina. I immediately contacted them. Um, I they responded that it was impossible unless Paraguay, a sovereign nation, formally allowed them to help. Uh, unfortunately, our cry for help to spell in deaf ears with the then U.S. ambassador to Paraguay, um, Leslie Bassett. And why, why wouldn't Paraguay? I mean, the FBI is world renowned. There's movies and TV shows all about their work and their labs and their DNA testing. Why would the Paraguayan government not want to involve the FBI immediately? Um, because we believe that the two families, Alan Jackson and Renee Hofstetters, they were from very affluent families and uh, they did not want anybody from the outside in. Going back to uh, saying 
that our help was developed on deaf ears. I mean, mm -hmm. the U.S. ambassador, her stance was not to do anything and just monitor the situation. And quoting the embassy's response, for the time being, the embassy will not do, does not believe further action would help, and in fact may be counterintuitive if it's perceived negatively by the Paraguayan authorities. Yeah, and that's often just a PR move and diplomacy because you know they have to work with these people day in and day out. But you know, your family was prominent. Um, your brother-in-law Luis was a former national congressman. So you know, in, for his position, what could he do? to help ensure that a proper and fair investigation was being conducted about his son's death because it's not it's not just these boys with their prominent families and the notification of the German embassy but your family as well what what, what could Luis do in his role to try to get a real investigation and a fair investigation going well he pressured everyone whether or not they wanted to listen i mean luis struggled as most officials uh, didn't offer him anything but empty promises and weak support. Fortunately for Luis, he had a lot of allies in the media from his time in the Congress, which would provide an outlet for our case. Uh, that publicity put a great deal of pressure on the DA's office to take this investigation more seriously. Um, the DA, him, the attorney himself, Luis is actually an attorney himself, so he's fought many, many battles, whether in Congress or personally. And uh, for much of the prolonged process, he denounced and removed the original prosecutor who was on the case. And uh, it was a hard battle. I want to ask you about this German connection. What was the German connection and the... And the um... The, the interesting aspects of the fact that they contacted the German embassy? Well, the Hofstetters are German. Uh, they uh, emigrated there many years ago and very successful family. Um, and so therefore the German embassy was called when this happened. So you've got politicians from Paraguay involved, Germany and the United States all scrambling trying to do whatever they can to, uh, I'm guessing, protect the people that they know best. And, and you're dealing with the U.S. government. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you've got a prosecutor who's listening to two boys from affluent families to say that Alex committed suicide. I mean, who are you going to believe? Somebody in front of you or a, a person who has passed? Well, with the Villamayor family doing what they could in Paraguay, Kim started to use her vast Washington, D.C. connections with U.S. officials to put pressure on Paraguay to come clean and properly investigate Alex's death. Kim tells us how and what she did when we come back. American teenager and murder victim Alex Villamayor's aunt, Kim Luck, is my guest today and we're talking about the apparent cover-up in Paraguay of the horrific crime against her nephew, his murder. Kim, what were you doing in the United States while all of this was, uh, all of the chaos was going on in Paraguay? Because you couldn't stay there forever. You have this horrible news, you go down there, but you have a life in DC, you have a job. What were you doing um, when you came back? Well, when I went down there for two weeks, I was trying desperately to contact my own senator's office um, in Maryland um, and, you know, ha begging anybody could help me, anyone. 
and uh, heard nothing from their offices for the first two weeks and we received a, a standard protocol like letter stating they're in touch with the U.S. Embassy in Paraguay and would monitor the situation. But it felt like my own government had shut the door on us when they when you hear something like we'll monitor the situation sounds like a serious blow-off doesn't it it did i came home two weeks later i contacted everyone i knew within my circles the connection to the media sadly uh there were those close to us that showed disinterest in the form of you know empty excuses and I can understand some people may not have wanted to help with the, you know, help out in their own fears of involvement. I mean, after all, this is a murder case. It's not like someone is sick and you can recommend a doctor. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, we've had many people to thank along the way. Um, after getting some slow responses from my senator's office, I reached out to then congressman, who's now the current senator, Chris Van Hollen's office. And what, uh, what, did, what did you say to him? When, when you first got a chance to talk to him because I know you know DC is uh, a city of connections and really I don't know if I know anyone who's more connected than you and so for you to initially be blown off by these people you know is is really unbelievable but when you finally got to Chris Van Hollen wh what did you say to him and what background do you think he had about the case with every procedure you have to fill out a form um, before you can you know, have somebody contact you. And um, I just simply typed out everything I, I could find about my our case. And remember, a lot of the news links were in Spanish. So mm -hmm. um, I did the best I could. And on top of the uh, scan uh, document, I wrote, we share the same dentist because I saw him come out of my dentist's <laughs> office one time. I mean, this is, you know, world. this is, this is me trying to get in the head of the line of a, yeah. you know, of a posh club, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And within 30 minutes of contacting his office, his head of constituent services, Catherine Provost called me. She listened to me cry, cry, begging her. And she said, okay, by Monday morning, we'll have a call with their deputy director of constituent services, who is a special advisor to the congressman, Lillian Cruz. Um, and we did, we had a full hour conversation. Lillian Cruz was my lifeline. She was our angel on earth. And thankfully Lillian spoke English. So I was able to send her articles, interviews and oh, Spanish means she spoke Spanish. She spoke Spanish. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, and English. <laughs> and uh, Lillian just got the ball rolling. I mean, the U.S. And Embassy was What was your headline doing. to them? What, what Was it, there's not justice being done, there's a cover-up, the FBI needs to go in? Like, what were you telling them that they needed to do? What was your sort of dream wish that they would that they would do? I mean, obviously, I, you know, as every crime scene uh, show, I want the FBI to break through the doors and go in and mm -hmm. take over and 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 um and and make sure that we have the accused uh you know behind bars and that i mean that would have been a dream so but, that's what, that was the main thing you wanted you wanted the fbi to go in because you had confidence that that if the fbi was there they would be able to look at the crime scene however disturbed it was the evidence and actually figure out what really happened right we couldn't trust anybody down there and then at one point you're you know you're working hard in dc you're really trying to make things happen from so far away and put pressure when you can. And then at one point, 
you find out that that uh, one of the main suspects, Alan Jacks, that he, that he fled to Europe, to Germany. Were, were you thinking at that point that there was going to have to be maybe a, a U.S. government uh, manhunt, a Paraguayan global manhunt to try to bring him back? Like, what were you thinking when you got that news that the guy has taken off? He took off two days after Alex was killed at six o'clock in the morning. Just so happens that one of Alex's family friends was leaving to go to the U.S. He saw the family um, at the airport. It was shocking to us. They said Alex committed suicide, so why would he, Renee, need to flee the country? Yeah, yeah. And and with that German passport. Absolutely. Well, he was a German citizen. Yeah. None of their documents were confiscated. They were not told to stay in the country. Um, so that's another inconsistency why the prosecutor didn't uh, do more. So eventually, when the truth was revealed and there was so much evidence that was there that, you know, from from Alex's body, from interviewing uh, the ranch hand who admitted to moving stuff, but eventually Jackson Hofstetter were charged and then and then convicted. Uh, what were the sentences that, that they received in, I guess it was 2018, which was nearly three years at that point after Alex's death, after Alex had been murdered by them? Yeah, uh, Renee Hofstetter received 12 years, including time served for first degree murder. Matthias Wilbs received two years, including time served for tempering with evidence because he had switched the gun. And, and a line Jax walked. He walked. He walked. Before the show, we were talking about something that really, really pisses you off about where Jax is now. Tell us about that. Well, Line Jax is in New Mexico, living freely in mm-hmm. in the U.S. It really angers me to no point that because he was not formally charged, that the U.S. government cannot prevent him from coming to the U.S., so they'll they'll stop someone and put them in jail who crosses the border with some marijuana um but not someone who was involved in the murder of an you know of of a of a friend of his is, is that what you're saying So by the testimony of Alain Jacks he found him at uh, five o'clock in the morning and as I mentioned we didn't receive the call until 755 so it's about three hours right what what happened yeah. between those three hours so by his own testimony Alan Jacks said that he uh, found Alex uh, knew that he was dead the prosecutor during the trial asked him so what did you do afterwards did you call the family you mm-hmm. know what, what did you do um, he said, oh, I just went and had breakfast. What about Renee and and Matthias? Did, did they ever say what Alan's role in, in Alex's murder was? No, because they were defending themselves. And I believe that Alan Jax's family paid heavily for his um, innocence. And Matthias Wilps went on national television to say that he was told to switch the gun. Um, and place a gun that didn't work, later we found out, um, on Alex's body. I know that there's no such thing, you know, from all my years working in America's Most Wanted, you know, people write about closure, and and I know from talking to them that there's really no such thing as closure. closure. But 
for your families, for the VMAORs, for the Lux, is there any sense of justice that at least there are some people serving time and that the truth did come out about how your 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 beautiful nephew died? Um, you're right, um, Avery. There is never closure for something like this. I mean, you know, first and foremost, we are so grateful for so many people. I mean, Alex's father formed his own legal team um, with people he trusts. Uh, we're so grateful for their times because three years is a long time uh, to fight this battle, fight my government, fight anybody that would listen, mm -hmm. uh, get rid of the prosecutor, uh, dealing with corrupt prosecutors along the way, also a corrupt judge during the trial. Um, we had miracles along the way and we also had people um in the u.s who really put us on the map i mean greta ben sustrin uh, fox news you know we had articles mm -hmm. written about us from yep. the daily bees natalia magas was amazing she wrote this article about us uh, the daily beast that went all over the world and really put more pressure for my own government to take notice uh subsequently we had um Brandy Yoder from the Senate Foreign Relations, who uh, really helped us uh, to get justice. And also um, Senators Van Hollen and Ben Cardin, they introduced two resolutions uh, into the Senate. And, uh, you know, we have the new U.S. Ambassador to Paraguay, Lee McClinney. We can't forget those people along the way who really did help us. Like I said, you know, yeah, no one believed. This is the Kim Luck team. This is the the A team of, of, for Kim Luck. And, you know, you really didn't take no for an answer. And I know that in, in addition to grieving, I mean, even, even before Alex's murder, um, Alex's brother Antonio lived with you and you helped him get reestablished in Maryland. And, and, and after the murder, your nephew Danny came, came and, and stayed with you and you've helped him get ready for college. How, how, how is your family overall coping now and 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 how are alex's three other siblings doing you know we're still recovering um we're able to finally grieve after years of struggling i mean never in my life would i ever imagine this um in a strange way alex managed yet to bring us closer together closer than we've ever been before alex's older sister milagros is working for a family or father's company in paraguay mm -hmm. alex's older brother antonio graduated from university of maryland with an econ's degree and, and uh worked for a private equity firm um his younger brother danny has been living with me um since I returned back from Paraguay. Mm -hmm. I brought him home initially so my sister can grieve. And also, to be honest with you, we didn't feel that he was uh, going to be safe in the school. Yeah. Um, and that makes, so. That makes sense. Yeah. And Danny is a freshman in college right now. We've been together for over five years. So I've become a guardian. Never in my life would I ever imagine a life like this. What should people know and understand? about the options that they have when they're outside the United States. I mean, I think people think like like you did, like many do, that if something happens to you when you're abroad, 
you have the weight of the U.S. government just waiting for you, like the embassy people, the staff there, they're just waiting to come and help help you. But that, that's not what you discovered. What should people know and understand about how the U.S. government works for, for U.S. citizens abroad? Well, Avery, I've been to 40 countries, and every single time I am so incredibly proud to wave my American passport, my U.S. <laughs> passport. And just thought, hey, you know, there's a U.S. embassy somewhere. I'm okay. I can just go there if I need to, right? Walk in and wave my passport and it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's anyone that could really prevent this type of tragedy. What I want to say is I think I was naive to think that my government could protect me and it was an easy uh, peasy process. It wasn't. It wasn't at all because when you have that passport it is a privilege and a right to travel and that's it you are yeah. on your own the only thing the u.s embassy could possibly get you is help you uh, return the body mm -hmm. into the u.s uh, make calls for a english-speaking attorney mm -hmm. and um, be support for you uh, if you need to but otherwise nothing yeah, and those things are are not enough. A few referrals are not enough. I mean, I've 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 worked in the criminal justice system for twenty five years, and from cases like yours to international parental abductions to kidnappings of adults, uh, it's 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 really uh, unfortunate what um, what happens. Absolutely, it is not only unfortunate, but it is a very sad sad process we had to learn uh, all these different lessons along the way um, and also the fact that uh, Alex's one of the accused is in the US is horrible and sad for us because we were hoping that uh, you know he would not be allowed in a country that he, he's murdered one of their citizens mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Kim, I know our time today has, has brought you back probably to the darkest time in, in your and your family's life. So I just wanted to say thank you for talking about Alex, your nephew, your beloved nephew. It's It's been inspiring to hear about all that you did and that you continue to do for Alex and your family. Because really, there aren't many people in the world who would or could have done all that that you did. And I'm, I'm proud that you're a friend of mine to know you and and to, to know all that you did um, to help get justice for your family. So thank you so much. Thank you, Avery, uh, for the opportunity and also for your time um, with our journey along the way. I'm so grateful. It's my pleasure. It's the least that I could do. And thank you for joining me. Please download and listen to the next episode of Making the Case Crimes Against Kids when we'll learn from another insider and hear about more incredible cases. And please visit SOS360.com to learn how to protect your organization and make it safer for children. Remember, safety begins from the inside out. Until next time, bye-bye.